Isn't that a cool telling of this little bit story of Zachariah and Nativity? I mean, if you think about it, usually Zachariah doesn't feature in our living nativity because we just don't have the time and the space for all these amazing stories. And yet this year, even though things are crazy and wonky, maybe turned a little upside down, we get the opportunity to do these videos and share them. And in fact, the first episode from last week has already reached over 5,000 people. And I'm excited to see where this week goes. And there will be five of these. And it's, it's even though it's a loss to not celebrate the living nativity like we have for decades, there's a beautiful thing that God is doing here. And honestly, isn't that, isn't that the story of Christmas? And in many ways, the telling of the good news of our world. That somehow when God works, we don't get what we expect or want, but we do get something even bigger. And so as we kind of delve into a little bit of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist today, I want you to think about that. This sense that, you know, maybe things aren't always like we want them to be, but yet somehow God is still at work. And Zechariah is a perfect example of this. I mean, at the start of Luke, right? Luke is laying out this order of kind of how things work. And he starts talking about Zechariah being a priest, and, and his wife is also from a priestly family. And they're a righteous couple. They've never had kids. She's barren. And, and they're much older, right? They're, they're beyond the ability to have children. And yet, you know, he's a priest, and so he's called to go and serve with his group in, in Israel. Now, the way this worked back in those days is there was 24 separate groups of priests with several hundred to a thousand uh, priests per group. And they would go for two weeks a year and serve in the temple. And they would clean the inside of the Holy of Holies and, and burn incense there. Right? So, so they're at the altar right outside the Holy of Holies, and they would clean and, and burn the incense. And, and it says that this day, Zechariah is chosen by random, a lot, to casting of dice, whatever, to be the one to go in and do this. So he goes in, and he's there before the altar doing his standard thing. And it says, the people outside are praying and offering prayers for the nation of Israel while he's in there. And as he's standing there, all of a sudden, whoo! This angel appears. He was off to the right-hand side of the, the altar there and says, Hi, Zechariah, or whatever angels say for greetings. And then he says, starting in, in verse 13 of Luke 1, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Now, I, I want to I pause here for a moment because the angel says that his prayer has been heard. Now, he's supposed to be praying there as he's burning the incense, but I don't think at this point Zachariah is praying for a kid. I mean, he's well past the ability for that to happen. I think he's praying whatever he's praying at that point. But the angel says his prayer has been heard. Maybe the prayer that he's been praying for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, who knows? This prayer of asking God for a child. And we see you know, in this that God has heard his prayers. And for all these years, for all this expectation, this hope, this waiting, that he's felt disappointed and let down and like God didn't answer and he doesn't know why and 
God says, hey, your prayer's been heard. And now you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John, which means God is gracious, right? You're going to give him a name that says, that declares the graciousness of God. I mean, this wasn't what they had hoped for. I mean, they wanted a child decades before. But here God says, no, 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 I've, I've got a son for you. Now, it's this amazing sense of like, ah, for, for Zachariah. I mean, how beautiful is it that he's going to have a son? He's going to bring great joy. The angel tells him that. But then he takes it a step further. And he says, you know, this, this child is not just going to be because of you guys. This child is going to be for part of God's grander plan for our world. And he says this down in verse 16. He says, this, this child will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. In other words, this baby is going to become a messenger that's going to go before this coming Messiah. Now, before we unpack that a little bit, there's an important thing I want to catch here. You see, God is heralding the changing of an age, a new way of, of looking at things, which Zechariah gets later when we read the second part of his, his song, When the Baby is Born. But, but it's interesting that he says you know, he will turn the people's hearts back to God. You know, when you look throughout the New Testament, at various terms, you know, we call it salvation. We call it, um, you know, coming to Jesus. We call it, you know, uh, surrendering, being baptized, all these things. The central idea behind this is this turning back. If we never left, what are we turning back to? And I think in our world, a lot of times we sort of over-Christianize things and we think about it in this sort of spiritual sense. But, but I, I want to pick up on what's, what God is saying here. Jesus is going to be the one to help us come back to who we are meant to be. Now, thinking about that in practical terms today, I don't know how many of you, uh, probably most of you, right, play on a computer. If you're watching this online, you have a computer. And you get your computer set up and you install all your apps and you've got your things going, and you're playing along and you know, all this, and then all of a sudden your email quits working or the program doesn't run right or the thing crashes and you get the blue screen of death if you do Windows or there starts to be problems and difficulties. And I think that is what we see inside of ourselves. Right? I mean, life, life starts off joyful and full of joy as a child and excitement. And then as life kind of piles on top of us and relationships break down or people hurt us or whatever goes on, we start to get fearful. We start to pick up the virus of distrust. We start to pick up, you know, this sickness of I need and I have to have. Or I can't laugh or cry or love well. I begin to get greedy and self-absorbed. And it's kind of like that computer that just gets bogged down over the time by little viruses and problems and difficulties. Things don't work like they're supposed to anymore. 
And what you do in that situation is you factory reset. You go back to how it was meant to be. And there's this image I see in this, that each one of us were created by God to be connected and to function in our world and live out this this life and this calling and this passion. And yet life has corrupted us. And so we get this sickness and the virus. And and there's this calling here, this, this offer to go back. I mean, that's what we mean when, when, when we're talking about salvation. Come back to God. And this is what John the Baptist will be doing. He will be going before this coming Messiah to preach this message of going back. Now, if you were back in your day, particularly if you were Zechariah or a priest, you would understand immediately that God was talking about Malachi 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the first group of Jewish scriptures, right? And it ends in chapter 4. And it ends with, with this statement. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Right? Boundless freedom and excitement. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to the children, the hearts of children to their fathers. And see, what happens is Gabriel comes and he he makes this statement about who John was going to be, that he'll be, you know, like Elijah going before and and turn the hearts of fathers to the children and and, and bring people back to God. And what he's saying is, you know, the 440 to 480 years that Israel has been waiting in silence for this Messiah, this promised Savior, is now starting. Your son, Zechariah, will be the one that will herald that. I mean, this is not just a statement of, yeah, you're going to have a kid, but this is a statement of everything that Israel has been waiting and longing for is about to be fulfilled. It is an incredible, incredible statement. Now, of course, Zechariah being Zechariah says, uh, so wait, how do I know this is actually going to happen? <laughs> and Gabriel is like, dude, I stand in the presence of God. I'm terrifying in appearance. You know what? It's just going to happen. And just so you know, you're not going to speak or hear until this time. Now we know it doesn't say here, but we know from later on in the story that he doesn't hear either. And so Zechariah, dumb and mute, hears this prophecy and this promise. And he goes out of the, this area and the people are like, where, where have you been? You're supposed to do the, you know, the incense and wander out here. And what took so long? And he tries to tell them about this angel. Now, pick up the hilarity of this. Here's this dignified old priest who's been given the greatest honor in the country for that, that day. And he comes out and he has to like tell with pantomime. There was like this angel and, and it came and it spoke to me and it talked about a baby. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of a fun image for me to think about how he told this story. And they get it. They're like, oh, he saw a vision. And he goes home. And he tells Elizabeth and then soon enough she conceives. And this isn't like with Mary where she conceives miraculously. This was done the old fashioned way. And she conceives and and there's this prophecy unfolding. 
Now we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of this next section of the story because Mary comes and visits Elizabeth and there's this confirmation of who Jesus is and who John's going to be and this beautiful thing. That's for next week and I'll, I'll save it for that. But long story short, at the end of this time, Mary leaves and goes back and it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. And so the, everybody gathers around and she gives birth and, 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 they assume they're going to name the baby Zechariah because that was the tradition. You name it after the father or the grandfather. And, and she says, no, no, no. His name is going to be John. God is gracious. And they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. you can't name him that. And, and, and ask the father. And, and so Zechariah comes over and he writes down on this tablet and says, his name is going to be God is gracious. And then he can speak. You see, there had been this period of waiting and expectation, difficulty and trial. Like I'm sure in all of this, John would have loved to have had, or Zachariah would have loved to have had the baby decades before, and he certainly would have loved to be talking, and certainly the whole nation of Israel would have preferred to have the Messiah without 440, 50, whatever years of silence. And yet God says, now, now it's going to happen. And here's the cool thing. Zechariah then turns that into a song of praise. And he says this, starting, well, actually, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but down, down in, in verses 67 and, and on, he starts singing this song of praise about God. And he says things like, you know, praise God who's conquered our enemies and set us free from those who oppress us, who, who fulfills his promise, who carries on this, this, this promise he made with Abraham like over a thousand years before. Like God has been working from all this time to deliver us from our enemies and set us free. In other words, everything that has been leading up to this moment has been a different period. And now we're entering the age of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior is coming. Now, if you were in that age, you knew what this meant. You knew that this meant that there was going to be a king who ruled in Israel and pushed out all the people who, who you know, were invaders, like in this case, the Romans. And, and you knew this meant it was going to be political might and power and it was going to raise up Israel. And Israel would become the throne room of God and ultimately rule the world and set everything right. You had in your mind this royal Messiah coming to declare himself the rightful ruler of Israel. It was political. It was the belief that the right person in the right place with the right amount of power could control everything and make it right. And everybody believed that. That was the expectation. That was the hope. And yet, that wasn't God's plan. Which the Holy Spirit speaking through Zechariah, which it says in here, God starts to flesh out and give some hints at, starting down here in verse 76. And Zechariah says of his child, like we just saw in the video, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins, 
Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And you see here that God is telling, telling them, you know what? This is going to be far bigger than a political rule or a kingdom, the way you think of it. Like you have that expectation. You want the Romans kicked out. You want to be in charge again. You want things to be like you want them to be. But I've got something far greater. I'm going to factory reset humanity. I'm going to take that, 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 that sickness, that disease, that darkness that dwells in them, and I'm going to offer them hope, salvation, peace. Now, see, the word peace here is, is, comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And it doesn't just mean not at war. It means wholeness, completeness fullness. And what God is saying is, I, I am going to offer to all the world the fullness, the wholeness, the completeness of how they were going to be. I'm going to shine my light on the people who dwell in darkness. Now, I love this image because if you think about it in terms of light and dark, right? Like, if you walk outside into the dark, you can't see. It's not because your eyes don't work. It's not because you weren't equipped to it. It's just because there's not enough there. There's, not, there's nothing bouncing off of stuff to, to give you that information. And so in this, this idea is, you know, we are surrounded in our, in our nature, apart from God, where we are just blind. We're not incapable of interacting with the world. We're, we're not totally, completely destroyed and broken and worthless. We're blind. We can't see right. We can't understand how to move forward. If you're in the dark and I ask you, tell me what the color of that flower is 100 yards away, you can't tell me. Not because your eyes are bad, but because there just isn't the light to see. And this is the promise that God is giving. That this Messiah who is coming will shine light, open our eyes and our hearts, and save us from the disease and the darkness, the death that lives in us. The selfishness, the fear, the need to guard ourselves, the pursuit of wealth and, and, and self-absorption, the needing to strive to be ahead, to put other people down, all the sick, dark things that crawl outside of us or out, out from within us. There's going to be an offer of peace, of wholeness. And here's the cool thing. This is a peace that does not go away given the circumstances around him. I mean, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, literally on the night he's going to be betrayed and handed over to be crucified, he tells his disciples, my peace I, live with, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. In other words, I don't give it so it goes away. I give you my peace that will never leave you. And he's telling this to the disciples who, in about 12 hours, are going to 
see the one that they gave their lives for and had been followed and literally had been at risk of death, captured, beaten, killed. They're going to lose everything. It's going to feel like hope is gone. Darkness has won. And yet Jesus says, in the midst of this, I give you my peace. You see, it's my peace that, that transcends all the darkness. That when we, when we see the world around us, when we're like Israel waiting for 400 and some odd plus years for a voice of God again, when we're like Elizabeth and, and Zechariah who long to be rid of the shame of being barren and just want a child and God doesn't seem to answer or, or this like, man, I want to tell people about this vision and what happened and yet I can't speak there's this longing, this expectation, and yet in the midst of it, God says, I will give you peace, not as the world gives. That is the hope of Christmas. That when things are crazy, when the world feels upside down, when things aren't working right, when they're, they're just not as they're supposed to be, God says, I've come to give you peace to reset and heal all the woundedness and the fear and the brokenness within you. I give you me. You know, when you look around about Christmas, you see a cute baby in a manger and maybe some shepherds and sheep and an angel appearing to the shepherds. It's, a, you know, miraculous. And, you know, the magi coming from the east and the rich people bowing down to this peasant child. And, and there's this whole, like, kind of cute hallmarky story to it. But that's not the power of Christmas. The power of Christmas is that the unlimited God who created everything said, you know what, I'm going to come down and I'm going to give you me so you can see how you were meant to live. So you can be healed from all the brokenness and the doubt and the despair. And as you trust me, as you follow me, you'll find peace. Not peace like the world gives, but peace like I do. I'll never leave you. So that is our hope this Christmas. That is the peace we celebrate. That is the joy coming ahead and the love we get to understand the weeks ahead. It is Christ on Christmas Eve. And so as we move through this season, may you go knowing, you know, God may not have given you what you expected or wanted, but know that he has far, far more for you and the Son, Jesus, who will help you get factory reset and find his peace. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your goodness, for this story that you hear our prayers, the prayers of our heart for years, and you answer them when it is your time. And I pray, God, that we would surrender ourselves to this bigger story of who you are, what you're calling us to be. Help bring wholeness, healing, peace to us. 
so that we may live well into this world. Guide us and lead us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Worship with me as we keep singing.